Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Regenerative by Design podcast, where we will be getting to the root of health, climate, economics, and food. I am your host, Joni Kinwell-Moore. I'm an RN, an ethnobotanist, and the founder of Snacktivist Foods. Join me on this journey as we explore the ideas, stories, and personalities behind the regenerative food system movement. Food is the connection between people and planet. In a world where pandemics, climate change, and war have made us feel so disconnected and vulnerable, regenerative agriculture has become a powerful force for positive transformation and hope. Here, regenerative thought leaders share how agriculture and food design can create a more resilient system. Okay. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining the Regenerative by Design podcast. And today we have a guest uh, by the name of Jason Marmon, who is going to tell us about his work at U.S. Energy and also with the Soil Health Academy. He is broadcasting from Chico, California this morning, and he's going to tell us a little bit about himself and his journey and what his hopes are for the future. So, Jason, welcome. Thank you so much, Joni. Uh, Pleasure to be here. Yeah, I, I really appreciate you taking the time out um, of your activities today. I, I can hear a speaker in the background and I can hear that you're at a conference and it might be fun just to start off by telling us about where you are right now. Yeah, yeah, you might be able to hear him. He's, he's quite the orator. Uh, his name is Gabe Brown and we're at a soil health academy at Chico University Farm um, in Chico, California. You know, today's our, our third and our last day. And so we had um, about 60, you know, farmers and ranchers, healthcare professionals, um, basically people who are just real passionate about uh, the environment, about nature. And, you know, uh, most of them, you know, it's their business. Uh, so they're you know, trying to you know, work on their triple bottom line and, and uh, really intrigued by, you know, all the opportunities and benefits that Regen Ag has. And so, yeah, it's my first time out in. The, the Sacramento Valley, and so it's been it's been an amazing experience, and the you know the weather mm-hmm. the weather has been uh, amazing as well. I think you know it may be the nicest place in the United States right now. Yeah, yeah, it it is a beautiful part of the world. Um, some of my favorite um areas to stop and watch migratory waterfowl are actually in that northern. San Joaquin corridor just north of Sacramento. And it's pretty incredible the diversity of, of the environment of, of California. Um, I agree with you. It's pretty astounding. So what is the name of this conference that you're at? Well, uh, the name is Soil Health Academy. Um, it's Chico States. And so this we've, we've worked with them um, for several years now. You know, they have an organic dairy out here. They got you know, walnuts and almonds and you know, they have a really robust university program. Um, they have the uh, the Center for Regenerative Agriculture and Resiliency at uh, Chico State University. And so they're really trying to you know, take the lead, I guess you could say, in this space. And, uh, you know, they've, mm-hmm. they have a partnership with us at, at Soil Health Academy and Understanding Ag. And so it's been really, you know, interesting to see the, the diversity of the, the stakeholders that are here you know, at this, um, at this school, you know, so. Absolutely. Well, California really is at the forefront of, you know, intensive agriculture for many decades and, and feeling the pressure of acute climate impact um, from drought and excessive heat and many decades of this intensive agriculture. So I think this is a great place for us to start by you telling us and our listeners a little bit more about you. How did you get into this line of work? Where did you grow up? Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about your background. Yeah, I'll try to condense that down to a long story short. Um, but I'm originally from <laughs> um, Western North Dakota, uh, Northwestern North Dakota, Williston. Uh, it's called the heart of the Bakken. You know, so it was really an agricultural, you know, kind of a small community uh, when I was growing up. And then the oil and gas uh, industry, you know, I guess in the 80s, it was still there, but I, I wasn't uh, old enough to really realize anything. And then it had a, a bust until about 2005, 2006. And then, you know, my city went from 12,000 to 40,000, about eight years. Um, so nearly triple. Wow. Tri- yeah. Almost quadruple, I guess you could say. And so, you know, I really got to mm-hmm. see, you know, how, um, 
you know, a, a small town can kind of be terraformed um, into, for lack of a better word, industrial complex. Um, and then, mm-hmm. you know, from there, I, I, I worked for an oil company. Well, I guess I went to, um, after high school and after junior college, I went to Northern Arizona University, got my undergrad in environmental administration policy and sustainability. And then after that, I came back to North Dakota and um, got, went into the oil field thinking I was going to be there, you know, for a summer. Um, but then I got offered a health safety environmental position at, at Baker Hughes, uh, which was the third largest oil company at the time. And then, you know, after about two years and, and some missed expectations, I was like, well, you know, this isn't what I want to do. I, even though they had me on like a director level trajectory uh, to be to Denver and then to Houston, I was like, well, I'm, I'm preaching a much higher standard than, um, you know, I'm getting backed up on. And so we've seen a, a real big, when I say we, me and my father, Dr. Roland Marmon, uh, we've seen a real big uh, need for community events. And so we started doing um, mm-hmm. concerts with uh, heritage country like Travis Tritt, Charlie Daniels, Tanya Tucker, Little Texas, Blackhawk, you know, just a whole variety of, of shows over, over the years. And then it, we started aligning, you know, our, our environmental sustainability passions and community passions with that. Um, so we'd have, you know, fishing tournaments, sporting play tournaments, and then we'd talk about, you know, um, environmental issues like, hey, how do we re- reduce flaring? You know, how do we, you know, quote unquote, integrate sustainable solutions? And we talked, we talked from everything from behavioral health to addiction, to substance abuse, you know, to really the environmental mm-hmm. challenges that arise with um, industry, you know, growing and, and encroaching so fast upon a you know, traditionally agricultural area. And that's, you know, um, right. Which led- that's a very unique perspective there. Yeah. And, and you can see that in, in, you know, now it's like Boise is really a boomtown um, for the lack of a better word. So um, they're, they're experiencing, a, you know, a mm-hmm. tremendous amount of challenges, you know, where, you know, you have all this agricultural land in the Treasure Valley and the Magic Valley that is being bought up and, and you know, turned into commercial or industrial operations. And, you know, for local and regional um, resilience and capacity, that's a big challenge. It's, you know, obviously, seeing we're seeing the globalism, international trade being disrupted so much. Correct. Yeah, and I think it, it it's all playing out right in front of us right now. Where you know we have this extractive mindset, which has dominated a lot of our industry and engineering, and and I'm not wanting to put a lens of good or bad necessarily on it. It literally is just where we've been for many decades, and now it's having a direct, you know, collision course with sustainability, regeneration, and um, longevity. Uh, We, you know, we're seeing now with the disruption of global supply chains and global infrastructure with COVID and now with what's happening and with Russia and Ukraine that we do need to rethink a lot of these systems that we've been using to create the world we live in today. And we can't just stop that overnight. It's actually a process. So yeah, I love that you're in in California right now because California also, I lived in Northern California for a couple of years. And uh, just in those couple of years that I lived there, it was incredible to watch the development that happened around the Sacramento metropolitan area, areas that were huge fields and very agricultural in just a matter of 18 months were swallowed up by massive housing developments and it continues today. And so it just brings a lot of important points up that I would love to talk to you about today. And it's interesting that you have this rub point, kind of a friction point from your upbringing, growing up in ag state that also had a, a formidable petroleum presence. And you went into the petroleum industry and energy industry to try to impact it for good. So I just think that's a, a really valuable perspective that you bring to the table. So what are you doing today, Jason? Like, what is your current, what are your current projects? I know you have a lot of things going on. You're involved as a board member on um, diff- various organizations as well. Uh, tell our audience a little bit about that. Well, it's, it's, it's trying to align uh, basically my, like say, my background, my upbringing. Um, you know, my, my dad's a tribal member. Uh, my, my grandmother was, quote unquote, like a medicine woman. And uh, we're Total Mountain Chippewa. And so from a cultural, historical background, 
you know, there's, um, for the lack of a better word, some generational traumas in there that I'm trying to heal and trying to um, work through that. Um, you know, I got, I got younger siblings, three of them, uh, one's 17 and he's a junior. So um, I remember when I was going through high school, I didn't have to worry about any of these things, whether it's geopolitics or um, climate change or, or none of that. So um, mm -hmm. I, I just feel, you know, that the, the burden of these things are going to fall onto not only my generation as millennials, but the Zoomers, you know, below us. And um, mm -hmm. it's uh, there's just a, such a huge disconnect between uh, the baby boomers and, and Gen Xers. Um, and I think their priorities are all messed up. And so um, trying to bring the educational awareness um, along with uh, an action plan is is really kind of my goals. And, you know, aligning with the groups that are already taking action, they're very far ahead, like, you know, Gabe Brown and, and understanding and understanding egg and soil health academy folks really on the regenerative side are leaders um for uh, mm -hmm. i mean true authentic leadership and so um i'm looking for that in energy um still and then you're you're looking at, at, at across uh multi you know industry uh multi-generational you know leadership and i think you know jack welsh was was famously quoted as where have all the leaders gone and um I think there's a mm -hmm. huge, you know, I, I hate to, I, I, I kind of have to bring up the story when I went to DC, um, when I was going through my grad program at UND and social entrepreneurship, um, we were for one of our classes, we were in DC and we were in the, the, um, the capital, um, what are they called? The capital or anywhere where you go get lunch. And, you know, I seen just all these, you know, <laughs> old politicians and, you know, Bernie Sanders was in there and, uh, you know, not to throw any shade at Bernie, but he was so skinny and frail. Uh, I'm like, like, wow, like we cannot have 80 year olds, you know, leading this country because they just don't have the energy. Um, and it's no ill will, like they need to be in advisor roles and mentoring, you know, but the, the strength is is not there for the lack of uh, a better way to put it. Yeah, the the age of our presidents has, you know, dramatically and presidential candidates in the last couple of elections has been much higher than it has been historically and when you look at leadership and I look at my own my own in-laws and they're um 90 this year actually but in incredible shape, you know, good old-fashioned Montana like they're still stacking wood and doing incredible things but that whole balance point of wisdom and insight and advisory and leadership. Um, I feel like a lot of people want somebody that's really strong and really vibrant to believe in today and somebody who's still actively working at their prime, like the working prime age of like middle-aged, middle-aged. Yeah. And, and I, I think that's an interesting continuum. Um, you know, I know a lot of people will be like, Hey, wait a minute, <laughs> what are you talking yeah. about? But I, I think that there is a need for that, um, strength for sure. A lot of people, I know my own kids are, are gen, they're in the generation where they are feeling very disenfranchised, um, you know, being in high school and teenagers and here they've been through COVID the last couple of years. And now they're very, very preoccupied with what's happening in Russia and Ukraine. And they're feeling very disenfranchised from leadership globally. Yeah. And that's one of the, the big challenges even for me is you know, um, when you have people in leadership positions and then you go talk to them um, a around, you know, topics that they're willing to talk about um, and then they don't have any any suggestions for you or they don't have any opportunities for you to really solve their problems that, that they you know are directly mm -hmm. overseeing um, the, the action plan for. And so that's where that's one of the most challenging things that I've that I've encountered. and. I think the, my our events based model is our way of trying to break through that you know, glass ceiling, if you will. Mm hmm. Yeah, because it brings together community uh, when you have an event behind a mission and behind a, you know, a, a messaging that you're trying to get across, you know, with energy sustainability, with regenerative. And then you then you you know, put the power of an actual community force behind it. 
I think that it is much more powerful. People feel much more participatory. And I'm, I know that you're working on several events right now, um, but I kind of don't want to steer away from this leadership thing right now because I think that, that right now you are working with some of the strongest leaders in our country and in our world, whether people know about them or not. And one of the things I'm always grappling with is, and one of the reasons I started this podcast is how do we get this message out? How do we how do we get the regenerative message out? How do we get people like Gabe Brown? How do we get their message to a broader audience? Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, kind of why I was brought on to the board um, for that reason is to help amplify their voices. So I know, you know, I'm kind of a utility player in that sense. I've played, you know, as a quarterback in high school, I played college baseball. And so, you know, the, the notion that, you know, we have to have a strong framework around teamwork and collaboration and cooperation is, is vitally important. But if you look at, you know, going back to DC, it's the exact opposite of that. It's like, well, we can't work with them because our party will suffer if we work with them and it's their idea. Um, you know, so there's this, you know, the, the, the house divided Still will mate. not stand, you know, kind of uh, mm-hmm. approach that, that we're coming into. And with inflation mm-hmm. and all the supply chain issues and a disengaged um, younger workforce, that's like, well, yeah. all these companies, they don't align with our values. So we're just not going to work. Um, and it's not yeah, that they're lazy. Right. It's like these, my brother's 17 and, you know, he's, he's actually bigger than me. Um, and so he can work. He's super strong. Um, but you know, if these companies and, and these people aren't going to align with their values, they're just not going to participate. And yeah, that's, um, they need a why. Yeah. It's like, why, why are we doing this? They're the, they're actually the smartest generation in, in, in you know, recorded history, uh, just cause their capacity to consume information, not saying it's good or it's bad, uh, information, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's debatable, but their capacity to learn is the highest ever. Um, just like hyper processing yeah, skills, like where that you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, the older generations they can't sit and scroll, you know, on their phone, they'll get headaches, you know, they'll get tired, you know. But you know, whether it's, it's different, whether it's, it's gaming, a different thing, you know, whether it's you know, Instagram, whether it's the social medias. So, if we, I think, me personally, if we can gamify some of our big challenges and really incentivize mm-hmm. the younger generations to kind of get after it, it'll get done. It's, it's really that, yeah, simple. we. The concept of gamification of, of key, mar- you know, key issues is a fascinating one that has come up in a few conversations because I, I'm in the generation where, I mean, Mario Brothers came out when I was in high school yep. and I'm, but I'm not in the gaming, I'm not in the gaming generation at all. Like I just, I'm really disconnected from that Pac-Man. I mean, that was around, yeah. um, you know, yeah. those kind of things. And so, you know, but I look at my own children and I look at a lot of the people that I know and I look at the captivation capacity around gamification and um, it can be a powerful tool for education. I have a, a friend who's very involved with um, really deep learning in a virtual sense where it's avatar driven and it's more of a gamified um, version in a 3D metaverse sense. And it's a really fascinating notion because they find that the the access to material and the adoption and learning is is accelerated because people feel really engaged in that medium, which is a fascinating thing. So um, I think it's really great that you're bringing that perspective to these organizations, especially when we need to get the word out. We need to get the word out and harness the younger generation um, to get them to feel hopeful and get them to realize that there is something they can do against all these formidable kind of dreadful things that they're aware of, especially climate. I know for my, my kids and my children's friends, that's something that they, makes them feel like, well, why would we go work the next few decades at something we hate when with everything going on with climate, like we might not even have an inhabitable planet by the time I'm your age. And literally I've heard that from kids. That's a very startling perspective when you think about it as you know, in your youth, if you feel that way, the investment potential of your time immediately is very different. If you don't believe that there's going to be a world like we have today, 40 years from now. Yeah, and that's that's um, a, a hard thing to, you know, kind to kind of convince the younger generations that they need to participate, but it's going to be on you know kind of their terms, which is you know understandable because there's so much um, 
Uh, I mean, there's so many inequalities, you know, that are out there and you see the, you know, these major corporations talking about racial equity or equity, uh, inclusion and diversity, you know, set, except that these board members live in, you know, gated communities that have no access to the public, you know? So it's like, well, right. you know, how are you going to, how are you going to be create community when you're not even a part of a community? Um, yeah, it's it's an authenticity play. And I think sure. that the younger generation is really calling out that authenticity that there's a lot of talking, but there isn't a lot of walking. And that's something that's really obvious when you take a deeper dive into a lot of corporate policy. So we're, you know, on this podcast, we are actually going to be inviting um, some pretty significant contributors to corporate policy at very, very large companies. And I'm very grateful that they've agreed to come on because we're going to talk about these topics head on and how we break through that authenticity and really reach across the table and across generations and and really make it happen. And I think getting people to step outside of their comfort zone is step one. So like you said, you know, if I have a real low tolerance for a politician who lives in a gated community, who's trying to talk about racial equity, because I'm to me, that is so inauthentic. Um, or somebody who's talking about the challenges of rural America and farming when they've never been on a farm. So I think that that's a great, you know, just call to action for the for people across everywhere to to think about themselves and what they do and what their daily activities and if they do that, is is that a practice for them every day? Well, and I think that's a you know that's a great point. Well, being in California. Um, we may be in the state that has the most graded soil in the nation with the best weather. Um, and so yeah. that's a conundrum. It's like, okay, how do we remediate and regenerate, uh, you know, our soils while keeping the capacity, the agricultural capacity as high as it is. And the only, right. the only right. answer to that is regenerative agriculture. I agree with you. Jason, real quick, if you don't mind us stopping for just a moment, like, can you tell us when you first learned about the concept of regenerative, um, whether that be regenerative agriculture, soil awareness, food systems, et cetera, like when did that happen and, and what does it mean to you right now? For sure. So um, I guess it's been a progression. You know, I, I grew up in obviously rural North Dakota and I had, I didn't have a farm and my, my family wasn't in farming ranching, but some of my best friends were. And, um, so mm-hmm. I was always exposed, like one of my good buddies, uh, Dusty Frey, like he, uh, you know, he always had chores to do it. He was just this, just this great down to earth, you know, salt of the earth guy. And you know, he'd always get his chores done. He was very committed to his family. And, you know, so I'd always help him out, you know, whenever I had on the weekend or something. So I was always, you know, kind of in and around farming and ranching, but it wasn't until beginning of, of 2019. When uh, after doing, you know, a PBR event um, in Williston that I had some some folks be like, hey, you know, are you connected with Gabe Brown? Like, are, you know what, you know what they're doing, you know, with Soil Health Academy? And I was like, no, but I'm going to go find out. And so I, I sent Gabe an email, and, um, you know, as the as the North Dakotans who venture out in the world, you know, there's a certain camaraderie there. Um, to where it's like, Hey, you're in North Dakota <laughs> right. and doing something big. Like, Hey, I'm going to talk to you. And, and then he, you know, reciprocated that and said, Hey, look, can we hop on a podcast? And that's where it started. And, um, after that podcast, I, wow. sent, I sent it around to my, my friends that were in ag and they're like, Jason, this is, this is awesome. Like you need, you need to keep going. Yeah. It's a big, and then, mm-hmm. um, that's and awesome. Then, and then after that, Gabe invited me out to his ranch. Um, he said, Hey, come out. And so I had a, I had a, a film intern that was with me and, um, me and another Jason, we went out there and, um, we just filmed that interview. And so I think that the regenerative agriculture video that me and Gabe did is, uh, if you just typed in regen egg on, uh, or regenerative agriculture on YouTube, I think we're the second ranked video, um, on all of oh, YouTube. That's great. And that's, um. Okay, well, we'll make sure to put the link to that in our comments when we do publish this podcast. So that way our listeners can take a a little jaunt over there to YouTube and watch that when they're done listening to us talk. Um, that's I love that there's this camaraderie with, I always call it the flyover states. Um, yep. You know, I was just in LA 
well, I was in Anaheim for Natural Products Expo West last week and we were at a booth and we were, and it was a formidable booth. It's a, I don't even want to say who it was because it's a little embarrassing, but they were a very important piece of the puzzle at Expo West. And we were talking to the woman there and she said, oh, well, you'll want to team up with like your closest pod, you know, like you're up, like to work. It's like a work group that they're trying to form. And she's like, Idaho. So you're probably, you're probably closest to Wisconsin. And my husband and I were like, what? wait, what? Wisconsin? I'm like, no, we're in, we're in Idaho. And she's like, yeah, yeah. Like Midwest, you know, it's all out there. And I'm like, we're in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. <laughs> like, and um, yeah. And so flyover states i was like and that's why i told her i'm like well yeah we're in the flyover states and i you know people in la don't really know anything about what happens out here it's all just idaho iowa wisconsin i mean whatever it is it's out there we fly over it when we're going to new york and so i think there's a cool camaraderie that's happening and i love regenerative from that perspective that it's this growing community that is bringing people together that are agriculturally minded um, manufacturing minded people that are not in the hot zip codes of like Chicago, LA, New York, et cetera. And it's a formidable force of thought leadership and leadership in general, but then harnessing, you know, the productivity of our nation to create a better world. I think it's a really provocative concept. So I'm, I'm glad that you are <laughs> working with the regenerative world now and, and, and that, you know, you, you came to it through Gabe Brown, who's an incredible human. So I'd, I'd invite any of our speakers to look into Gabe and we will also post some links to the work that you guys are doing at the Soil Health Academy and understanding ag as well. So um, a little bit before, because I know we're, we're trucking through our time and I'd like to take a moment just to make sure that our listeners are aware of one of the events you're putting on in, in Idaho, speaking of Idaho, in Boise next month for Earth Day. It's the Carbon Summit. And um, if you could take a moment just to let our listeners know about that. I mean, if they listen to this after the fact, it'll be after the fact. So yeah. let's make it to where they can get some value after the fact as well. For sure. Um, thank you for that. That's, you know, the Carbon Summit is really uh, a Soil Health Academy uh, aha moment. Uh, we were in, um, after, you know, Gabe's ranch, uh, he invited me out to a Soil Health Academy. And that was in Caldwell mcintyre farms um and that was september of of 2020 you know so as you know covid was it september of 19 uh, i can't remember now 20 i think it was 2020 um so covid was going and um that's where really the light bulb hit it's like hey if i can apply my promoter and events organization skills um to promote this message and and really try to amplify you know what we're trying to accomplish here what what would we what would you call it and i tried to make it as simple as possible and so carbon oftentimes gets portrayed in the media as a pollutant um or something that's not necessarily good but carbon is actually the the energy molecule it's the reason why life is exists on the planet and so i am a carbon being on a carbon based planet using carbon technologies and that's the, the 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 shift or the the paradigm shift that we have to start talking about um, carbon in a context that is conducive, you know, to uh, balancing it. You know, so right now we just have a excessive carbon problem by the way that we consume, and whether that's you know, like we love to drive, we love to consume all these you know kind of worthless things, um, and it, it really has to realign um I, I think our goal with this is, is we call it actionable sustainability and so the carbon summit features what we call the seed show and seeds being an acronym and an analogy so i always use my hands my five fingers to uh, explain it so it's sustainability energy education diversity and synergy and how do all these things work together so the the analogy is you got to plant seeds to grow a community and in sustainability, regenerative agriculture is where our stake is at. We think that there's really only one thing that everybody can agree on, and that's food. It's like we all have to eat every single day. Mm -hmm. I mean, water would be in, I mean, a consumable water, air, and food. You know, those are the big mm -hmm. three. And so beyond that, you know, like you, you have to find, I think that's where we find common and so that's why mm -hmm. Gabe, you know, G Ray Archuleta was our, one of our keynotes last year. Finian Makepeace from Kiss the Ground was as well. 
Um, this year. Yeah, those are great guys. Yeah, this year it's Gabe Brown and uh, Dr. David Montgomery uh, from University of Washington. And so we had to make a pivot. Like we were going to, to be in the Morrison Center, you know, the Idaho's premier venue. Um, and then, you know, we had zero out of the top 100 companies supporting our, our efforts. And so when you talk about green wishing or even green washing, um, that's a huge problem <laughs> in, in corporate America and even the government. And so honesty, yeah. it's like, like we're just being honest. And if, and if honesty offends you, that is a huge red flag. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. if our society can't be honest, like we won't have a society here soon. And um, that's, yeah, just, that's I agree. just a fact. And, and so like yeah. when we're- Lean into uncomfortable topics. Yeah. And, and if- <laughs> It's a very important- And when I try to take the emotion out of it, like, cause I can get very emotional about these things. And whether it's mad or angry or sad or, or whatever, you know, emotion comes out of um, a sense that things aren't going the way they should be going because the leadership that's in place has their priorities mixed up. And whether we're talking about mm -hmm. the environment or climate change, you know, in Idaho's case, you can't even really talk about climate change. Um, there's still plenty of people that yeah. don't want to believe in it. And it's like, hey, we had the longest mm -hmm. fire season you know, that I've in my lifetime last year, um, it was six months, mm -hmm. you know, there was days, probably even weeks where, um, you know, the NIF, uh, NIFC and, and these other environmental organizations told us not to go outside. You know, is that, is yeah. that the new yeah. norm we're willing to live? Well, in? we have a, we have a new season that we didn't used to have. It's called fire season. So in addition to summer, we now share summer with fire season. And, and that is something that, you know, I feel like even when I was a kid in the seventies and eighties, once in a while, we would have a summer like that, but it was not a consistent thing where you feared summer. Yeah. And yep. now, and I grew up in rural Oregon and with, there were some catastrophic fires in Oregon as well. Um, just in the last couple of summers where people literally were fearful. And I know back home on my family farm where I grew up, we have been scrambling to, you know, get the proper timber management so that we have defensible space. Because what we learned is that the fire behavior now is not like it used to be where these rapidly accelerating aggressive fires just wipe out whole towns. And it's a really scary thing. So I'm, I'm with you that I've been laughed out of rooms before for talking about climate. Yep. And I've had many people tell me, you know, I wish you wouldn't say the word climate in your pitch deck or in your messaging or any of that stuff. And and I I know that there could be benefits to me not, especially financially, but I, I can't do it because I, I feel like it's such an important topic that we need to get over this discomfort associated with it. And we need to get over this kind of shame paradigm where people are like, oh, I don't want to talk about it because of I feel guilty or it makes people uncomfortable. And I'm like, let's kind of get over that. Let's evolve a little bit and talk about it because we need to do problem solving. And we're never going to solve the problem if we don't talk about the problem. So I, I love that you're going after it head on and saying, let's talk about carbon. Um, and let's not talk about it just from a perspective of, oh, carbon credits and making money and, and what have you. I mean, I think that industry has its merit in its own right. And we are going to be talking about that on different segments of the show, but um, really carbon is, is life. Carbon is everything. And when you look at climate change and global warming, the problem isn't carbon. It's just carbon being in the wrong place yeah. and not being part of a cycle. Yeah. And that's the issue. If we re if we re bring that cycle, then we're, we're things start to harmonize again. And you, and you think of our sequesterers, you know, or where carbon's at, you know, 40% in the soil, 40% in the oceans, 20% in the atmosphere. And so we are, our least mm -hmm. amount needs to be in the atmosphere because it's a, it's a greenhouse gas. You know, it's, um, it's a heat blanket. You know, the more that we have up there, the more that it traps sunlight, you know, leaving, you know, supposed to be being reflected back into the atmosphere. And so like, these are very simple things. Right. Like these are very simple things that are made very complicated because they, if, if you're confused and if you're not sure what to do, then you're, you're likely not going to take any action. So I like to say a, a problem well stated is a problem half solved. And that's, um, I think the motto that we have to, one. we have to take, um, with all these things like, Hey, all right, let's, let's yeah. really understand the problem, make sure it's true information, and then we can take action on it. And, and that's one of the most frustrating things yeah. is 
Like if I go to a major corporation's website and they're like, hey, here's our sustainability page. Here's our community giving page. Here's our racial equity. And we're a, we're a tribally, you know, certified nonprofit. It's like my dad's a PhD with a, and, a, you know, a tribal member of Chilamon Chippewa. So um, we check all these boxes, but then when we submit a grant, they're like, hey, you know, although it's this canned response, all the same, it's all the same. It's maybe a little bit different worded. Um, hey, although you guys have a great, you know, event going on, uh, we get so many requests, we can't fund them all. Um, so we wish you the best of luck. And it's like, okay, mm-hmm. like, come on, like, don't just put this up as a front. Um, like, put your money where your mouth is. Like, for corporations, their accountability is when they write a check. And if they don't write a check, then mm-hmm. they don't believe in that, you know. And so that's mm-hmm. one of the, the toughest things to convey, just like a politician. Um, it's the, the, not all politicians either, because there's some that I've met that, that really care, but the higher you go, the harder it is to get them to engage and, and, and take action because they have so many, I guess, stakeholders that, you know, want strings attached. Yeah. And yeah. And we, yeah, we gotta be able bad. to talk about these things, um, in a constructive, proactive yeah. way. And so that's our way mm-hmm. of doing it. Is In a proactive events. way. And like, so I don't go out and call out companies. Like I may be, I may be upset with them, you know, but I'm, you know, I've, I've learned enough to where you don't go around calling out companies. You just get blackballed that way. And um, that's not the mm-hmm. way to get things done. So you keep trying. And then year after year, mm-hmm. um, I've worked yeah. with companies and, and eventually they're going to run out of excuses to give you. And um, either they're going to, yeah. like I said, put their money where their mouth is, or you just know that they're not going to do anything. Yeah, right, right. Well, I think that's a good call to action for our listeners. If you own a company and you are feeling sheepish about, oh, do we back something that's talking about carbon? Or yep. do we back something that's talking about climate change or other sensitive issues? One thing to remember is that, you know, usually we're doing what, appeals to our stakeholders, shareholders, et cetera. I mean, I own a corporation, so I am sensitive to that. I have to be aware of it as well. But you're also doing a tremendous disservice if you're not leaning into what the future customers and business leaders of tomorrow believe in. And so there is a tempering point that we must think about that like, if you really go out on a limb and invest in the future and doing your best, whatever that may be to say, I am going to go out on a limb to invest in the future. It speaks volumes to younger people Well, and because that's why they're mad. That's why yeah, they don't want to work yeah, for us. It's yeah. they don't believe that we care. And that's something that needs to change. So I think this is an f- awesome call to action to everybody who's listening well, today. And I think you, one of the, one of the takeaways that I've learned from just doing community fundraising is it's very hard to project future value um, to companies today. Like they want, you know, the motto is, what have you done for me lately? Um, and what is my short term return? And, you know, workforce development has, has been a real big piece um, that, that companies can justify and get behind. But it's oftentimes you got to check several mm-hmm. boxes for them um, in order for them to get involved. So mm-hmm. just, a, you know, just a good idea and you know, passion and doing the right thing is not good enough um, to get, mm-hmm. get an event up and off the ground. And so I've had to talk to, you know, I've sent thousands and thousands of sponsorship emails, um, hundreds of grants and it's, a uh, it turns into a ratio. And so we've had to pivot. And, you know, one of the mm-hmm. things that I guess is, is in our abilities, our adaptability. So, you know, if, if an event isn't well received in a, in a place that, that we're very passionate about, we'll just go to a different state. Um, and that's, um, yeah, that's, yeah. that's the, you know, the conundrum that we're in, like our main stakeholders are not in Idaho, you know, so I'm in Idaho for the fact that my best friends live in Idaho and they asked me to come and, and try mm-hmm. to get this started there because they knew it was such a, uh, a big challenge and especially being an agricultural state. And so it's like, well, if, mm-hmm. if, if the quote unquote leadership of Idaho don't want to talk about these things, then we'll go somewhere else. But at the same time, mm-hmm. I, it's a, it's a yeah. huge opportunity 
to where it's like, all right, are we going to be the early adopters? We're talking about this in a holistic way. Um, we only need a couple, you know, stakeholders to make it this thing work. We, we have it down to where we're so lean, we're so efficient. Um, we have the right people in place in their respective industries. And so we can make it work anywhere. Well, yes. And, and honestly, I think if people stop to think outside of the box a little bit, um, there's something extremely invigorating and provocative about this concept of combining traditional, more conservative values of workforce development, natural resources extraction, agriculture, and putting a spin on like, how do we talk about the big issues and still have the things we need? We need timber, we need food, we need, we do need mining. I mean, I have a cell phone. Anyone who owns a cell phone can't say they don't believe in mining. It's, and how do we do it better? How do we do it with a regenerative mindset? How do we do it with a sustainability framework? How do we use that regeneration, regenerative by design process where we're intentionally using design thinking in a circular holistic model so that we can get the things we need to get, but without causing substantial damage while we do it? And that's a something that we have to do. And I think places like Idaho are a perfect place to do it, but we've got to have that buy-in and paradigm shift from leadership. Yeah. And that's going to be tough. Yeah. It, it's, you know, it's, um, it's hard to get to people that are very insulated. Um, and, and Idaho, you know, being Boise, being a blue city in a red state, um, you kind of have purple politics, but you actually have somewhat radical politics um, as well. And, and off, oftentimes yeah. on both sides, you it, do get a radicalization. Yeah. And so those, mm -hmm. those are, there's a big gap between both sides. And, you know, people like me who are, who's a moderate mm -hmm. in the middle, and I don't like to be pigeonholed into either side for the fact that I kind of grew up. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I grew up in a red state and then I went to a blue state um, for school. And so I can understand both sides. Like, I like common ground. Like, when you're looking at competition, yeah. like, I don't even view, People who would be doing the same similar things as me as competition. I think it was like, hey, how can we work together? Yeah. How do we amplify our voices? You know, grow the pie. Yeah, it's like grow the pie. It's like, hey, there's plenty of it. Yeah, yeah, like, we, we strength in numbers. It's like I don't need your pie because I I got a bakery. Yeah, I, got I my own bakery. Like we're, I'm just I want to share ingredients. Yeah, I agree. And so that's I the, agree that common ground is something that gives me hope. I honestly. It, like what you just said there, that is where so many people I know actually live. Yeah. Um, I feel like the media frequently tries to trick us into thinking everyone's radicalized, which is not the truth. I know so many people across the, the political spectrum that are amazing, dedicated people that are trying to make the world a better place and, you know, their manifestation into what, whether it be politics or, you know, their social expressions, et cetera, are all different across the board. But I think the most powerful notion for us as Americans is really seeking to find the common ground. And that's what gives me hope. Honestly, it's like one of the reasons I, I want to have this podcast and love doing what I'm doing because food brings people together of diverse backgrounds and diverse beliefs because we all have to eat and people tend to get along over good food. For sure. So I mean, it just, what gives you hope, Jason? Like, you know, you know, it, it gives me hope is what gives you hope right now? Just how beautiful the planet is. You know, it's like we have this amazing, you mm -hmm. know, lifetime here. And it's so diverse. Like being in Chico for my first time, um, seeing how green everything is. Mm -hmm. It's so it's so lush here right now. I know they get real hot in the summer. But, you know, a lot of that has to do with the small water cycles. You know, right? so regenerative ag can help alleviate mm -hmm. a lot of those challenges. And so... What gives me comfort and what gives me hope is we have all the technology we need. We don't need this breakthrough technology to, you know, come and save us. There's no silver bullet to this, you know, but that's the resilience of the human spirit is the fact that anytime we've been faced with tremendous challenges, people have rose to the occasion to solve the problems. And that's God given. Yes. You know, like that's innately built inside of us to do that. Mm -hmm. And so, um, whether or not, you know, do I think the, the older generations are going to do that for us? No, but they're going to be very instrumental in allowing the younger generations to take that action and, and, and really working with them. Mm -hmm. And so that, that multi-generational dialogue is, is critically important um, because, you know, the older folks and the younger folks communicate completely different. And so trying to, be, mm -hmm. trying to build a bridge for that. 
is where I see the most opportunity. Because when I you know, talk to um, older stakeholders that get it, you know, they're, you know, they're very motivated. They want to, they want to work with young, younger people. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the younger people need yeah. mentors. Absolutely. And they're hustling. Most of them. Yeah. Yeah. They're hustling at a high level because they're so excited about the hope they have for the future and working and across generations. There's unlimited energy in these, these young people, you know, that are, you know, 15 to 25. They could work all day, you know, not necessarily yeah. we need them to work all day, but they're yes. very creative. Um, and they're often mm-hmm. a little introverted because obviously COVID and, and the pandemic has isolated people quite a bit. We're not. We don't do well in isolation as, yes. as, uh, as humans. Mm-mm. And so um, really, yeah, I think community beings. Yeah. We're, mm-hmm. I mean, we're very weak as individuals, honestly, um, but we're very strong yeah. as a collective. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we got to yeah. re- remember. Like we have too much individualism um, being pushed down, whether it's through mainstream media or whatever, to where this individual is going to save you. But no, they're not. Um, the collective, no, like you have to yeah. have community, you know, and, and, um, mm-hmm. that's where I think the, 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 the call to the aristocrats is saying, help us provide opportunities to the, the social entrepreneurs, you know, the people who are willing to take action and who are, who have the capacity to be leaders. And we got to stop fearing the leader. Um, the, the leader should be promoted and advocated for. And and mm-hmm. and um, collaborated with. So, I think yeah, yeah. The, the United States was founded on leadership, and if we deviate too mm-hmm. far away from that, we're in trouble. Yeah. Well, on that note, that is an incredible like final statement because I completely agree, and it just is part of that whole mind shift that we need to have as a society to really reevaluating what we value in leadership and what we value in our communities and that common ground that makes us strong, um, you know, and not the divided States of America. Cause I refuse to go there. We are the United States of America. And I think we can be an incredible nation that can provide great leadership um, if we embrace it. So I, I feel hopeful after that. Thank you. I, I love talking to other people who are so passionate about, you know, getting up every day and, and making the world better and really believing in, what they're doing step by step. And it's not a hard, it's not an easy road. I'll put it that way for those of us who are working in this impact space. And, um, you know, it's definitely the path of most resistance in many ways, but it's also the path of most um, gratification and reward on many days too. So Jason, I'm sure many of our readers would love to know where to find out more about you and your projects. And um, where can we learn more if you want to just Tell me verbally, and then we'll make sure to put links in the show notes as yeah, well. Yeah, I'd say the easiest place is just connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I try to keep you know the, our, my connections and and uh, my colleagues really updated and informed on what we're doing. We put our events up there um, for the Carbon Summit. You can go to boisestate.edu forward slash sustainability. Um, we have a great partnership with Campus Sustainability over there. Um, they're really building their capacity. They're they're relatively new. Um, um, department. And so their, their director over there, Kat Davis and her sustainability team and, and her students are just fired up about these things. Like we just did a job fair and um, it was the first maskless event back at Boise State. And the kids were just stoked about, you know, being back and, and being involved in these things. And it, you know, took very little effort um, on, you know, our part to do that. And so I think that's one of the things, if I could encourage people to pursue and participate in the things that you care about, because that energy is um, tangible, you know, that energy is amplifiable. So you can magnify what you care about by joining people who are already doing that work. And it is critically important that you do not be, you do not let paralysis by analysis set in. If you're watching the news too much, or if you're watching, you know, something that doesn't make you feel good, shut it off, you know, go find, say, ask mm-hmm. yourself, what do I care about? You know, what makes me happy? Go do that. Mm. You know, that's what, that, yeah. being the yeah. best version of yourself is what the world needs, you know, not you to be resentful, yes. bitter and angry, you know, cause sadness, you know, I agree. anger often comes from prolonged sadness. 
And so if you were, you know, mm-hmm. sad about that, your circumstances, you can't, what's going on in UK, Ukraine and Russia. But if you're not even supporting what's in your own community, you're, you may feel a sense of, of hopelessness. And so focus on the things that you have a little bit of control on and take some action. And so with that said, I guess, All go, right. to, go to LinkedIn. Yeah. Uh, yeah. USEnergy.org is, is being updated now. Um, carbonsummit.org. Uh, we have a, a couple different places. I'm not necessarily the best at uh, our, our web presence, but I have, I have folks who are working on that now. Um, yeah, but then again, soilhealthacademy.org, um, understandingag.com. Um, there's, there's just so many mm-hmm. things that, that we got um, going on and, and to be hopeful for that, uh, like, mm-hmm. like my fantastic stuff, like my example. I went and found the people who were doing the work that I wanted to be a part of, and they invited me in. So hopefully that's an example to people yeah. um, saying, bring your passion, yes. bring your energy, bring enthusiasm. You'll find a home. Love it. Awesome. Well, on that note, I'm ready to charge through the day and make it another good one to make the most positive impact we can do. So Jason, thanks for taking time out of the conference today. Um, I know it's a busy time for you guys there in Chico. And I, I'm just glad that we could share this energy with our listeners. So thank you so much. Yes, Joni, thank you so much for you know inviting me on here. And there's 60 other people in that uh, this conference room that are getting the Gay Brown uh, enthusiasm and yes. motivation. So that Oh yeah. That guy can fire up I a totally crowd. get it. I've been there in that audience before. That guy can fire up a crowd and we'll have to get him um on mic in here one of these days as well. For so sure. he's sure. an incredible human. I, so I, thanks so much, Jason. Have a great I one. Got you on that. Just let me know. Oh, yeah. Okay. Alrighty, take care. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay. Alrighty. Beautiful. Alrighty, take Bye. care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us on the Regenerative by Design podcast. If you would like to learn more about the principles of regenerative food systems and agriculture, please see the show notes for links to education, a glossary, and guest information. This podcast was brought to you by Snacktivist Inc., a leader in the regenerative food industry. We create delicious foods from regenerative ingredients that are soil-focused, minimize water use, and maximize carbon sequestration, all while radically impacting human nutrition. Learn more about our work at snacktivistfoods.com.